Welcome to Catching Curveballs. Join Dr. Moji, a psychology professor at the University in Ohio, and her daughter, Iyabade, a research scientist in California, on a journey of how to make the most of what life throws your way. We hope to make today's podcast as informative and lighthearted as possible. So sit back and join us on this adventure. All right, mom, another day, another episode. How are you? How's life? Yes, it's another God-given day, my daughter, another exciting episode, meaning I'm excited about the topic for today. As for life, I cannot complain. I'm blessed. My job is part of my blessings. Classes are in full swing, although I am teaching all my courses online which means I miss seeing and interacting with a new set of students taking my courses this semester. I have, however, gotten to know my students a bit through their introductions via our learning management system blackboard discussion board. I also asked them to submit a student profile form in which I asked for their names, majors, career goals, A few things about them, for example, their interests, talents, hobbies, and their life's purpose, that is, how they use or will use their passion, interests, talents, hobbies to help others. Oh my God, I am very impressed by the information my students have shared, which shows that they are making amazing difference already and will even make much more amazing and awesome difference in the world after graduating from our university. So shout out to my current students. Keep up the good work. In addition to teaching, I have participated in faculty meetings and other academic-related meetings, which have been via WebEx and Zoom. And yes, there is a huge difference between face-to-face and virtual or online meetings. But one has to continue making lemonade out of the lemons one has. One has to be ready to catch cough balls. Too true. There really is a major difference between face-to-face and virtual meetings. And some people have started explaining that they're starting to experience Zoom fatigue, as in they're jumping from one meeting to the next so rapidly and for such a large portion of their day that they're just drained from it. And although I sympathize with them, I have to admit I've come to love the online work life. In the beginning, I was a bit lukewarm about it, especially since at work we get free coffee and it's always nice just looking forward to those meetings over lunch and seeing all of us say our prayers and hope that lunch will be provided and free. But at this point, I've adjusted. I've become accustomed to preparing and actually eating lunches daily. And I've most definitely grown to love taking my work calls in my PJs. Nothing makes me happier than giving presentations knowing full well I'm on camera and wearing a t-shirt I wouldn't dare wear to my work office. In general, though, things on my end are going pretty well. Um, It's actually been an interesting day to say the least. I was planning on taking us down memory lane on a trip to Brazil I took a few years ago at this exact same time of the year. But in thinking it over, it just feels strange given the type of day it's been. So listeners, we're recording after the news of Chadwick Boseman's passing. For those who might not recognize him by name, 
He was the lead protagonist of Black Panther. Well, he was Black Panther. And my mom and I most definitely aren't celebrity experts, so I won't pretend to be now all of a sudden, because I think we both would rather spend an afternoon doing advanced trigonometry than share celebrity updates, given we usually aren't following celebrity gossip. So no worries if any of you are. If you enjoy it, then absolutely thrive in doing so. But what made Chadwick's case so tough to ignore is that we've lived through having a loved one pass far too young from colon cancer. And in hearing about his journey, it struck me as being so similar to the experience that my own family has been through only a few years ago and to this day, really, that we're going through. And long story short, we're really sending so much love and strength to his family. It's truly not easy, and the roller coaster of emotions and the deep pits of despair they'll more than likely feel is something I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. We've already covered this in our PTG episode, but I truly hope they themselves find the strength and growth that's possible, even despite going through such a tragic and traumatic experience. And I really pray that they live the life he would have wanted to see for them, even in his absence. Okay, so let me take a quick moment to compose myself because we have another really exciting topic for today. It's false memories. And for me, I really enjoy learning about memory, whether it's in terms of trying to figure out how to never forget where I put my keys again, or in learning more about memory distortion and the pitfalls of eyewitness testimony, all the way through to how fascinating it is to learn about the diseases that are characterized by progressive changes in memory. All of it I find so incredibly intriguing. And so listeners, whenever we have a memory-related topic, know that I more than likely have badgered my mom incessantly to the point where she's caved and agreed to humor me in doing so and having an episode about it. I'm slightly joking though, because my mom loves this subject matter too. So mom, aside from it being the pick-me-up we needed today, why exactly were you drawn to having this episode about false memories? Well, there are several reasons why I too am drawn to having an episode about false memories. These are in addition to the reasons you have given. One being that it is an important topic, especially as we face the unexpected and unpredictable. For instance, what will we remember about these current times in a year, in five, ten, or more years from now, what factors will influence what we remember and how accurate will our memories actually be? Even more interesting, I think, how much variation will exist from person to person in what they remember about this year or this moment in time? It is my hope that our conversation today will shed some light and answer some of these questions and other related ones. I agree completely. And maybe this is a time to start developing a quiz about 2020 that we can send to our listeners in a few years. We can even keep the questions high level. For example, what month did you realize COVID-19 wasn't just a short-term issue? Or even how many pounds did you gain this year? Even those types of questions likely would generate some discrepancy in how we answer it now versus a few years from now. And so, Mom, we haven't defined false memories for our listeners yet. From a psychological standpoint, what exactly does the term mean? False memories refer to situations whereby people remember events differently from the way the events occurred. 
In extreme instances, a person remembers an event that did not take place at all. So false memories can seem real and the individual can vouch for its accuracy to the extent that others are unable to convince the person otherwise. In fact, there's what psychologists refer to as false memory syndrome, FMS. This is a condition where false memories or recollections that are incorrect affect an individual's identity and relationships. Such recollections could be about, but not limited to, childhood sexual abuse that arises during psychotherapy or psychoanalysis. Some symptoms of this condition include dissociation or disconnection, difficulty concentrating, low self-esteem, sexual issues or overly being sexual if the recollection is childhood sexual abuse related, problems with short-term memory, self-harm, and eating disorders. There are different types of false memories. One category is confabulation. Confabulation can be thought of as, quote, honest lying, in that deceit is not the intent and the person genuinely presents distorted or entirely made up events with the belief they are true. Oftentimes, it is symptomatic of neurological damage or associated with a neurodegenerative disease such as dementia. It can present spontaneously, almost involuntarily, or more commonly can present as provoked. For instance, asking someone what year they were born and having them respond with what they believe to be but is actually the incorrect year. There is also suggestibility, which is a means of accepting or going along with the suggestion of another. An individual attempts to recall the details surrounding a prompt and fills in the gap with what actually is distorted information versus an accurate recollection. In addition, False memories presents as delusional memories during a psychotic episode can manifest in schizophrenia patients when recalling information after hallucinations and has been reported for those with what is termed pseudologia fantastica. Pseudologia fantastica is more commonly known as pathological lying. Beyond particular disease states, it can also take shape as internalized false confessions for a crime one did not commit and as false or distorted memories for those who have been subjected to child abuse. And even in everyday life, false memories can appear as momentary confabulation in healthy people having never been diagnosed with a neurological or cognitive disorder.
And this is part of what I love about memory, because so often we think of the extremes when there are countless more run-of-the-mill, middle-ground aspects of life and our own experiences that could be impacted by this phenomenon. And someone who I'd love to have on here at some point is my little brother who's just graduated from law school because even the legal ramifications and impact that this can have on what's classified as evidence is so interesting to hear. And what's even better is that we've just learned a new word for pathological liars. So for anyone who has the misfortune of being around or having been around someone that fits the bill, you now have the term pseudologia fantastica to add to the list of colorful adjectives you use when referring to them. Okay, mom, I think all of us are likely wondering, well, why exactly do we create these false memories or what actually is causing our brains to generate these distorted memories? And I know you've already provided context for particular settings and cases such as those with dementia or schizophrenia, but overall, what are some factors that can contribute to our creating false memories? Factors that can contribute to or influence the reconstruction of memories include age, changing worldview, misinformation and misattribution of the original source of the information, or failures in monitoring the source of the information, existing knowledge and other memories, effective suggestions and other methods. Individual differences, such as the level of maladjustment and emotional instability characteristics of social anxiety disorder, or social phobia, which is an intense and persistent fear of being watched or judged by others, may interfere in the production of false memories. Studies have also shown that people with post-traumatic stress disorder, a history of trauma, or depression are more likely to produce false memories especially when others expose them to information that relates to their knowledge base. There are also neuroimaging brain network correlates or false memories. Do you have personal examples of false memories? Yes, I have a couple of examples, but one that comes to mind readily was in the early 2000s when my doctor did some tests because I had complained of pain and numbness in my toes and the result had shown that I had some blood clots in my leg and required surgery. When I shared this information with my father, I reminded him that he had once told me that my grandmother, his mother, had complained of similar symptoms and probably had an undiagnosed blood clotting condition. He agreed that his mother had similar symptoms, but that he had told me that she had hit her foot on a hard surface many years previously. So somehow, Grandpa recalled it being that she hit her foot and that was the cause of her symptoms. Which makes me wonder, did she actually hit her foot and just misattribute her symptoms to that? Or did he just completely recall something that never happened or at least didn't happen around that time? Good questions, my daughter. A true unsolved mystery. Nothing, though, gets scarier than memory lapses in the setting of healthcare and medical issues. I feel as if that's a time when you absolutely want everyone around you and you yourself firing on all cylinders and remembering all details clearly. 
And this is part of why I secretly believe that neurologists have the best careers. They have a work life filled with fascinating patient cases, and even the literature that's been published on various psychiatric and neurologic patient cases is just unbelievable. As an aside, one of my favorite authors in this genre is the late Oliver Sacks. If anyone is interested, his books entitled The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat or Hallucinations Will Blow Your Mind. And to be frank, all of his work is incredible, but just start there if you're looking for a thrill or a great way to spend the afternoon. But back to what you were saying, I think what can be pretty terrifying about memory is that regardless of how strong we believe ours to be, there are moments that will shake you and shock you because there are times that I'll be reminiscing with someone and will fully and clearly visualize a certain event that's taken place, yet the other person's recollection is almost as if we were in two completely different places. And I think for me, I don't understand why I remember what I do or why I struggle to remember what I do struggle to remember because there are times that I'll vividly remember what I was doing on a particular day or remember someone's middle name or their favorite tea after they mention it in passing, but then I'll struggle to remember my own grocery list. And the tea example is a genuine case that someone seemed pretty perplexed about since it was an absolute in-passing comment. And then about a year later, maybe even more, I referenced how much they loved said tea type. And let's just say we both fully knew it was only in passing. So I almost felt this need to pretend as if my memory was fuzzy or it wasn't all that clear, despite the fact that I'd have bet my own life on it because my recollection was that strong. So I just find my own memory confusing, and growing up, my dad never seemed to forget a thing. I have never met someone who could recall the exact directions to a city he visited decades earlier or recite verbatim things he heard years before. It was to the point where as a kid, when you're scheming and trying to pull a fast one, he was never buying it because he could remember every single thing you said or exactly where you said you were going in complete detail. And that was intimidating growing up, especially since I absolutely do not have that same type of recall for most information. So even keeping it straight, what I had told him might be problematic or would be problematic. So that was really intimidating as a child. To this day, though, both seeing him as an example of someone with an extremely strong memory and then seeing how odd my own memory can be always leaves me in this state of confusion as to, well, how strong are my memories and how reliable are so many of those that I fully believe to be true? My mom is pointing at herself. I think she's hinting that I get my memory from her. (laughs) And I have to say, I think I agree. We still make it work, though. We still make it work. All right. I have a few more questions, so let me just stop talking and get back to business. Is there a way for us to identify a false memory? As in, can we spot it ourselves? Unfortunately, at this time, there is currently no way to differentiate between true and false memory without independent evidence. Some memories can be very detailed and held with the greatest conviction and yet be false. Dang it. I was hoping there'd be a trick I could use to distinguish between something that I'm remembering correctly versus a memory that's not so accurate. But okay, that's fair. If we can't detect our own false memories, can having them actually be dangerous? Oh, yes. In as much as false memories need not be malicious or intentionally hurtful, they can alter people's lives and even have fatal outcomes. 
For instance, they have led to false accusations and even false convictions of people for a variety of crimes, such as child abuse, domestic abuse, assault, in which witness testimony was used as supporting evidence. And at this point, it seems memory isn't perfect. And considering the potential impact false memories can have, what are some strategies we can employ to reduce how often we generate them? Psychological science has shown that employing cognitive strategies do reduce the generation of false memories. For example, repetition, repeating, restating information. Also, engaging in recall to reject processing. This is processing in which mismatching information that is retrieved from memory is used to reject test faults that are similar to studied items can be helpful. Furthermore, the use of metacognitive heuristics. By that, I mean skills that involve the monitoring and regulating of one's own problem-solving process and helps a person to perform a task might help. Researchers have explored these approaches as a means to help, for example, patients with mild cognitive impairment and mild Alzheimer's disease improve discrimination between true and false memories. Other useful cognitive strategies include inducing conservative responding and item-specific encoding. What do I mean by these? Conservative responding or revising one's belief insufficiently when presented with new evidence will cause people to rely upon more detailed contextual source memory, a process that will allow one to remember the different aspects that come with learning something new. Item-specific encoding entails focusing on the initial learning of specific items. All right. I'm so disappointed that this episode is already coming to an end. I feel as if I still have a million more questions, but I suppose it's only fair that we wrap up and not stay here discussing false memories for hours on end. So let's go ahead, mom, and have you share your quote for today with us. And while you're at it, I'll be proactively applying the strategies you've shared so that hopefully I'll be able to remember your quote in the future. But actually, I have to mention that I most definitely remember the Dr. Seuss quote from our last episode. I loved it so much that even without trying, I bet I could recite it now. I mean, don't test me, but I think I could recite it correctly. No test for today for you or our audience, my daughter. Today's quote is by Elizabeth Loftus, an American cognitive psychologist and an expert on human memory. And I quote her, just because someone thinks they remember something in detail with confidence and with emotion does not mean that it actually happened. False memories have these characteristics too. Well, that is all for now. Thank you for spending time with us. Yes, we want to hear from you. Give us feedback on what you heard today and suggestions for topics you would like us to discuss in future episodes. 
You can email us at catchingcurveballs at gmail.com. That's catchingcurveballs at gmail.com, all one word. Or you can follow us on Instagram at Catching Curveballs Podcast. That's Catching Curveballs Podcast. We cannot wait to connect with you soon.